Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm the internet's beloved Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you today, Grace? Oh, I can't complain. I am sitting here, pleased as punch, and also, we have an episode to talk about. Namely, Season 4, Episode 2, An Evil Within, directed by Constantine McCreese. Written by Holly Harold, original air date July 30th, 2012. Uh, original US viewers, 1.67 million. Like I said, uh, last week was the last episode to break 2 million. It's all. It's not all downhill from here, but it's uh, not great. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I don't know that it's gotten that much uh, weaker, but I think maybe the people who were watching just sort of fell off. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe there was less promo on it. I know I fell off watching it around this time. Mm-hmm. When I uh, watched it as it aired. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what I hear from a lot of folks. Like, whenever I mention the show to people, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember watching that. But they they certainly weren't diehard fans of it or anything. Or if they were, they... This seems to be about where they fell off. They... They agree that Helena got done dirty, and that's about uh, as far as we get. Right. Yeah, so, uh, as will come to a surprise to absolutely no one, uh, we open on a recap again. Yeah, I will say that, like, if you wanted to start watching the show at this point, you would be, you would have no idea what the hell was going on. Like, you would be able to pick up the broad strokes, sure, but, like... They don't, like, you know, who is this lady? If you didn't, like, watch last season, you wouldn't know this is Pete's mom, the regent. Uh, yeah, it's... they... In the recap, they don't mention anything about, uh... Yeah, Pete's mom, or, uh... How Steve ended up dead. Basically, you just get Steve dead, Claudia, uh... Upset about it, and then Artie's got some sort of evil going on. Yeah, like, they they mentioned it later, they're like, oh, you got hit with that heart attack drug or whatever, but yeah, it's, right. you know. But anyways, we, uh, after the recap, we open in Philadelphia, where a couple of nerds are having a nerd argument. Uh, one of them claims that, oh, you're not accounting for the variable, and, well, uh, someone outside locks the doors to this diner they're walking into. Yep. Yeah, he locks the emergency exit with a length of chain. And then, uh, someone wanders into the diner, or a, uh, a big eldritch horror wanders into the diner. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, we, we cut back to the inside of the diner, the nerds have finished their argument, one of them is like, oh, and that's why a Vulcan could beat a Klingon in a fight, or whatever. Um, right. The, the waitress shows up and calls them virgins, and... <laughs> Yes, then a, a tentacle monster walks in. Everyone in the everyone in the diner tries to get out. The door is locked, and so they just beat the monster up with, you know, chairs and shit. Yeah, one guy does the cliched uh, break a beer bottle and turn it into a stabbing implement. Yeah, I mean, it's it seemed like it would help. Like, oh yeah, it's oh, uh, it's such a cliche thing to do in this. Life or death situation. Right. Uh, and then, after they've uh, 
whooped up on this monster pretty good. Which you would think would be harder to do to a giant tentacle monster. Yep. Uh, they discover that it was actually uh, the nerd's friend Joe all along. Yeah, and now he's just a Joe corpse. So he apparently doesn't die, despite the paramedic saying, Oh, he's not breathing, I can't find a pulse. Oh, really? Like, that? Yeah, he's in a coma. Okay. That's what that was. I kind of thought he died. I thought something someone said made it sound like he died, but fair enough. I trust your judgment. Yeah, it, uh. the only reason, because I thought that happened in my notes here, but then later on they're like, oh yeah, the first victim's still in a coma. Huh. Well, fair enough. The authorities arrive extremely quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they come, uh storming into the place as these people are still beating Joe down. Which, I'm not too sure... Like, the cops don't seem to arrest anyone when everyone banded together to assault this guy. I guess they believe the story that this man turned into a monster. Uh, right. Didn't hurt anyone, but was very monstrous everywhere. And... Yes. Strikes me as a little unlikely, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, apparently it's fine. Right. And then, uh, back at the warehouse, Claudia, or, uh, Pete and Micah are going back and forth with Artie about trying to help Claudia since she ran off to go do, uh, super secret Steve resurrection things. Yeah, they're at the B&B, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Artie is insistent that uh, we're not going to do anything. We have a ping. You guys have to go to uh, Philadelphia. Yep. And, uh... Yep. And, uh, he shows us on his fancy pants pocket ping thing that Claudia made for him. Right. Yeah, so that he can get pings when he's at the bed and breakfast instead of at the uh, warehouse, I guess. I mean, that sounds convenient. I'd hate to... Oh, yeah. I'd hate to miss a thing happening just because I'm eating or whatever. Yeah, I love a, uh, a good PDA for uh, weird shit. Uh, a paying digital assistant, yes. Right. And then there are several times in this episode where... Like, someone says something around already like, you know, you can't turn back time or whatever, that he gets all weird about it. Yeah, he is uh, extremely, extremely failing to keep his cool about any uh, suggestion of time travel or using an artifact for uh, good reasons or whatever. Like, yeah, he he's just spent the whole episode getting real weird about stuff no one else knows about. Yeah, like someone says something and then... Yeah, I, th- I forget what exactly it is, but it's, Pete says something like, you can't turn back time or whatever, and I was like, Barber. he says something to himself, and he's like, nothing, nothing, I'm colorful, I'm colorful, go! Yeah. I was uh, being hyperbolic, I'm colorful. <laughs> uh, it's a good bit. I, it's, yeah. it's better than, I'm capricious, go! <laughs> yeah, and they... As soon as... Pete and Micah leave. Uh, our old pal brother Adrian turns up. 
Yeah, who I only recently learned, according to the credits, is played by Brent Spiner? Huh. Okay. I don't... He I was, don't really uh, know Brent. He was uh, Data, if you ever watched Star Trek. Oh, okay. Yeah, this, this show does love to keep some uh, Star Trek cast members around. Yeah, he was also... Dr. Brackish Okun in Independence Day. Okay. If you ever saw that. I'm sure I have, but I don't remember much of it. Yeah, same. It's, it's been a minute. He was the Sandman in an episode of Comedy Bang Bang, which I have only ever watched the, uh, the old pre-television Comedy Bang Bangs. I mean, it was an episode of Frasier, so there you go. There we go, yeah. <laughs> uh, all you Frasier heads out there. He played robots in the Simpsons episode, Them, comma, Robot. Yeah, alright. Fair enough. I mean, it seems like a good move to get the uh, voice of Data to uh, show up and do your robot. Yeah, that makes sense. He was Dr. Kern in the, uh, warehouse-adjacent series Alphas. Huh, well there you go, he's, uh, he's now two guys in the greater sci-fi-verse. He appeared as himself, as himself in, uh, internet, uh, thing, The Guild. (laughs) Oh, he played uh, the Riddler in some Justice League thing. Neat. Anyways, um... That- I, I feel weird about ever admitting to having watched The Guild, because in hindsight, that that show was, like, really not great. I have never heard of this before, but, uh... One look at it, I can, like, start creating ideas for imagining what it's like in my head. At one point, YouTube really wanted to, uh... Like have more content that was like serious quality content or whatever in their yeah. effort to supplant TV. Yeah. And so they gave Felicia Day a boatload of money and said, here, make TV shows. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The first Although season- I think the first season was just like something that they made out of uh, like on their own before that deal. Uh, it's, its first season premiered on YouTube in 2007. Seasons 2 through 5 premiered on Xbox Live Marketplace, Zune Marketplace, and MSN Video. Oh, hell yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot that uh, there is gratuitous Microsoft product placement in Season 2 onward. Like, characters that originally used MacBooks, uh, gratu- like, just conspicuously now have uh, Microsoft devices. <laughs> Uh, I clicked through to their the website about the guild, and uh, it's a web series about gamers, eh? I've never seen one oh, of those yeah. before. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this was in 2007. <laughs> yeah, alright, I can, I can see how it would be novel then. But yeah, YouTube recommended me one of the songs that came out of that show, and I was just like, oh, oh no, oh, I... I wiped this from my memory. (laughs) 
Uh, anyways. So, Brother Adrian is telling Artie that he's missing something and he needs to get it back. It's very important. Yes, I, I'm here from the Vatican and I've heard you can get mysterious things that were lost, like this magic astrolabe. And Artie is, again, extremely weird about it. Because, um... Right. So, if someone did have this and use it, what kind of evil would it unleash? Yeah, tell me more about this evil. Like, every time Brother Adrian turns up, he's like, Yeah, but can you, uh, got any hints about this evil? Is there any way to reverse it? Yeah, what if, what if, uh, I really, what if the thing was really important, and what if the evil was really important, and it's worth, yeah, what if the thing I did was really important, so it's worth it? Hypothetically, of course. Yeah, yeah, like, what if, let's say a friend of mine used this astrolabe. Uh, and Brother Adrian is very, like, very clear about, like, the only way to get the evil to, the only way to get the evil to go away is to use the astrolabe again, putting the day back. Right. And as we've seen, that's not something they can afford to do, because, uh, a, a horrible evil that follows Artie around is probably better than a world without hope. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm a big, I'm a big Artie fan. I'm a real Artie head. And ev- anyone who knows me knows this. Um, but, you know, it's probably okay if he gets stabbed so that the concept of hope can continue to exist. Right. Especially considering how many times he's been stabbed before. Yeah, that's a like, good point. This is this would not be his first time getting stabbed. Right. This wouldn't even be his first time getting stabbed by Claudia. Remember her, her <laughs> fork Remember her fork lamp? Right. <laughs> yeah, she stabbed and shocked him. <laughs> Although that was in an alternate timeline. Yeah, it also with two forks instead of like a proper knife, but Right. <laughs> uh Yeah. Didn't Artie get stabbed a second time in the same spot he got stabbed by McPherson? I mean, probably. Like, look. Because I remember bringing it up. There's only so many places you can get stabbed on film and have it look good. He either got stabbed or shot. He has definitely been shot before as well. Okay. Yeah, he, like, got shot in the same spot he got stabbed. So, yeah, like, getting stabbed again doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. <laughs> he seems to have developed an immunity. <laughs> well, see, he's, he's gotten stabbed by a lot of small blades, so now he's built up an immunity to the bigger ones. Right. He's got those stab antibodies. So, more seriously, I can see how, like, yeah, you could probably survive one wound, but, like, it's not like Claudia is in his... Nightmare is going to stop. Right. Like, she is willing and able to Julius Caesar his ass. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, uh... But honestly, like, aside from Artie trying to prevent this for his own sake, like, I think he's just kind of got to take one for the team in this case, because he certainly can't turn the day back. Yeah, we, we need that day. Right. Uh, 
we get a transition to the uh, Regent uh, Chatelet? I I don't know. Uh, Uh, Apparently the Regents have this whole, like, office building thing. Yeah, so, well, I think... Does this happen first, or do we go to the diner first with Pete and Micah? I thought this happened, and then the diner. I'm one double Yeah. Uh, really, because yeah. I have I have the notes about Micah with the big hair, and there's po- it's possible there's a scene I missed. Let's let's talk about this. Doesn't matter. Yeah, um, Claudia turns up uh, to break into the place. She's in disguise and everything. Yeah, she's got this this really cool nurse outfit that yeah, looks good on her. Um, well, she I- starts out in a different outfit. Uh, she starts okay. out in like a uh, pencil skirt kind of like uh blazer ensemble thing and yeah. social engineers her way through the uh oh, right. the she security ru- guard right she runs into a guy yeah and like oh i dropped all of my important documents or yep. runs into a guy runs into someone else helps them pick up their stuff and you know yoinks their badge or whatever Although apparently they they cut to the regent place and then shortly after establishing that Claudio is there, they cut to uh, the Pete and Micah scene. That so would explain it, yeah. The, the order's right, it, or you had the order right, I just had a very brief and inconsequential moment noted before that. Oh, uh, no, that makes sense. Uh, uh, yeah, noted Claudia, notice her. Um, and then, so, now we go to the diner where Claudia is interviewing, you know, our two nerds, and, uh, you know, they confirm they weren't on anything, they weren't drinking anything, uh, not even Red Bull, as one of them says, um, did I miss something? Like, her hair, Micah's hair is really, like, big and frizzy in this, and I, I didn't yeah, see an explanation. Did they explain this, or is that just what her hair is doing today? I, I think it's just what her hair is doing. I think they also picked some different angles to put her at that made it look even worse. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. But, yeah, uh, so at, at one point they're running through various things that could be causing this, and Pete suggests that it might be condiments. Oh, yeah, he says he, uh... He doesn't trust gray poop. All yellow mustard for him, baby. Right. Which I have to assume is a reference to the uh, Obama scandal. With his fucking mustard suits? Or no. whatever? Uh, he ordered a burger at, in 2009, like right after he entered office. Yeah. And conservatives were absolutely foaming at the mouth over the fact that he ordered it with Dijon mustard rather than yellow mustard. I remember that. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, a fascinating look into America in 2009. I mean, I I remember that. I remember the whole, like, oh, he's wearing a tan suit. He's standing in front of that Muslim prayer curtain? Oh, yeah. God, what the fuck? Which, I believe... That was, like, something that had hung in the White House for ages, wasn't it? 
Yeah, like, it's it's not like he, like, moved in and changed the drapery. The problem is he didn't go touch any mysterious or... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, American... Uh, more so conservatives, but uh, America in general uh, elected a black president and then decided it was okay to uh, suddenly be extremely critical of just the most minor things he could possibly do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like, choosing a tan suit in the middle of, like, the summer, which is, like, not even an inappropriate uh, thing to do, but, what, like, uh... Is that, like... Conservatives... A... <laughs> conservatives like... insist that you have to wear navy or black or whatever if you're the president. But only whenever it's Obama doing it. What the fuck? It's yeah. like, where, like, oh, you shouldn't wear white after Labor Day is a fake, is a fake nonsense rule. But at least it's one people have heard of. Right. <sighs> yeah. And in this case, like, a tan suit is perfectly appropriate in the summer, traditionally. Yeah. And, like, it, it was just bizarre. Well, it... It wasn't I mean, bizarre, ultimately, it's, just, they just, it's just a bunch of racist assholes saying racist right. asshole things. Yeah, ultimately they didn't have anything substantive to get mad about, so they had to manufacture controversy. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the typical playbook, really. Mm -hmm. Uh. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Pete, does, Pete doesn't trust the... I had to rewind the episode because he said, I don't trust that gray poop. And yep. like, it took me a, a minute to realize he was, he was trying to be cool and dismissive and shorten gray poop on. Right. He wasn't like yeah. making a weird, I mean, he was making a weird poop joke, but there's more layers to it than that. I, uh, I watched with subtitles and our, uh, our captioning provider went out of their way to type P-O-U-P. Oh. So it was immediately clear to me what he meant. Ah, I appreciate them going the extra mile. Right. I watch TV with, cl with closed captioning on basically my, you know, until I moved away from home and kind of stopped watching TV. And, like, there are clearly levels to it, you know? Like, there can... You can tell who gets the good captions, who gets the bad ones, because the good ones will, like, Instead of saying music playing, they will name the song. Right. And so on. Yeah. It, lately, it's gotten a lot better, at least with uh, pre-recorded stuff, because someone will take the time to do the captions and, like, fix errors. Yeah. But for all the live stuff, you get, like, captions that are pounded out live, and sometimes they... Uh, you can see a backspace. Yeah, sometimes it falls to pieces. Ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, at best they're keeping up. It's a hard job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, props to them, but uh, it's a lot more useful to watch with captions when you're watching something pre-recorded yeah. where they can actually correct errors. Yeah. Uh. Anyways, uh, then we cut back to Claudia in this nurse outfit. Yep. Which, it's a gender. It's good. And uh Yeah, she she used uh office lady to get past the security guard because she pretended she was way late and when she couldn't find her badge, she uh was 
about to start crying, and the security guard's like, it'll be a secret between you and me. And then she, instead of going up to her floor, goes down to the basement where the morgue is. And yep. in the elevator, she changes into her uh, nurse outfit. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting, the way they shoot it, like, she enters the elevator and immediately starts undressing. Yeah. And then the door closes. So, like, the guy who just let her through, the security guard, should have seen this happen. <laughs> like, Look, it gets hot in those elevators. Right. But yeah, she, she turns up and uh, is trying to just sort of sneak on past the uh, guy sitting at a desk at, at the morgue, and she hands him an ID card with, like, a smudge over her face. And when he rubs it, it shocks him. Yeah, she's got, like, a taser badge. Which yeah. seems unnecessary. Like, why are you going to forge the badge if it just tases you when you look at it? Right. Because, like, like, it has, like, her face. It has, like, her face on it, and it says Claudia. It doesn't have, say, Donovan, but it says, like, something close. Right. And it's not like she didn't have her Tesla on her, because she immediately pulls the Tesla and is about to uh, Tesla the security guard when he comes down. Yeah, and Artie stops her because Artie's been there the whole time, I guess. Yeah, that part's weird. He does say like he's going to look for her earlier, but because he does, I guess he does know where she's going. Like, you know, he knows she wants Steve, but like that part's weird. Also, again, this wouldn't have had to happen if the badge didn't tase him. Right. right? Like, what's the point of like having a disguise and like Forging an ID badge if you're going to blow your cover immediately by tasing the first person you give it to. Yeah, I... I don't know. It, yeah, she... She certainly had a plan. I don't know if many of the steps were entirely necessary, <laughs> but she sure had a plan. Yeah, she had a plan. It seems like... It seems like several of the, of the steps kind of contradict each other, even. Right. I mean, maybe her plan was to see if she could get by without using the badge, and the badge was a last resort. But then, but even still, she didn't try. Yeah, I, I, she completely she blew her entire cover by tasing this guy for no reason. Right. Although the uh, security guard upstairs actually noticed that she went to the wrong floor. So, yeah, he hopped on the elevator as soon as it got back up and made his way down. Uh, anyway, um, I think I think there's some conversation here, but about I think this happens later, but uh, yeah, I think it happens right now. Uh, yeah. Because we, I know we cut back to learning about Micah hating tentacles. Then we have like the big heart to heart between Claudia and Artie. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. 
Pete keeps using the word tentacles, and Micah is clearly becoming uh, more and more uncomfortable with it every time, and Pete picks up on it, so he's, like, ribbing at her even more. Yeah. Which is, like, a shitty thing to do, Pete. Come on. Like, she she straight up tells you, like, she has a a phobia here, and she asks you to stop, Pete. Stop being a dick. Christ, you should know this. This is basic yeah. stuff. Yeah, and then, uh... I don't know, they do something. They they do some sort of back and forth in this scene, not just establishing that Mike is afraid of tentacles. Yeah, like, there's... Yeah. They're, they're doing the crime-solving thing, it's fine. Oh yeah, there was a second attack announced in the previous scene we saw them, and they're making their way to check that out. Right, we, uh, at some point along all this, we see the, basically, a, a lady is, like, carrying groceries inside, a dude, a baseball cat, shows up, gives her the key, they're like, hey, you dropped this key, she takes it, this is, you know, this isn't my key, gives it back, and then, when she comes in, the guy in there goes into the house, the guy in there, like a husband, sees, like sees a monster ah, and starts you know freaking out about it and i guess calls the police right uh back in claudia land uh she and Artie are having a big back and forth about she feels that she has to use an artifact to right a uh an intolerable wrong and Artie is like no, you can't use artifacts like that. It's wrong. So, yeah, uh, this would have a lot of like narrative relevance because like it's calling back to him using the uh, astrolabe. But they just use artifacts all the time. Yeah, Artie's got a big a big bag full of artifacts. Though, so, right? Yeah, like because like yeah, there's a whole thing with like yeah, Artie. Buddy has if you could use an artifact to. To undo a tragedy, would you? And Artie's like, right. oh, no, of course not, you can't do that. Um, which is like, yeah, it's supposed to like, you know, be a whole thing where we're yeah. playing on Artie's, Artie's guilt and insecurity and, you know, making him look like a hypocrite. Right. Artie's like, oh no, I would never uh, use the phoenix to be resurrected from the dead or use Harriet Tubman's thimble to... Tr- uh, transform myself occasionally well mind or... you it's okay to use an artifact to <laughs> yeah it's weird because like it certainly seems like it's fine to use artifacts to like prevent bad things from happening sometimes but you can't use it to undo like i think the the argument that makes the most sense here is that you can't unkill someone. That undoing death is a bridge too far. Except that's literally already happened to Artie. Like, yeah. he already died and it was undone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the phoenix is... Yeah, the phoenix is... No. Certainly a thing. I mean, in fairness, he maybe had a little less choice because the phoenix was slipped into his pocket. Yeah. But still, yeah, it seems a little weird that Artie's all up in arms about how this is wrong, we cannot do this, when in the past they've used 
artifacts for anything from flights of fancy to bringing themselves back from the dead. Yeah, it's... Yeah, especially since, like... Uh, doesn't matter. Um, right. Uh, yeah, it's... It's really trying hard to say this, but it's... It seems like kind of an arbitrary line to draw. I don't know. They're, they're, they're literally only doing this to, like... They liked the parallel. Yeah, like, it, it's really good so long as you don't think about it too hard, you know? Right. Yeah, it's a good parallel to draw, but once you put any sort of thought into it, you're like, yeah, but wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, Artie literally carries around a big bag full of artifacts for dealing with bad things. Right. Yeah, they they dive into people's heads. They, uh, you know, they, I, I can think of a bunch of different uses of artifacts that, like, they just do as a matter of course. Yeah, because it's and like, because like that was the whole thing with McPherson, right? Like McPherson, one of the things with McPherson that again, the whole McPherson problem was that like, blood. You know, they couldn't figure out what his what his actual beef was, but like he had right. a whole but like there was a whole thing with like, oh, we have to use the artifacts to help people, and Artie was like, No, we can't do that. And Right. But McPherson was never using the artifacts to help people. He was just selling them to yeah. uh people who would use them poorly. Yeah. Like, he was doing supervillain shit. Shit, that doesn't make any sense unless you're just, like, trying to be evil. Like... Like, there was no reason for him to be like, Oh yeah, look, it's the Phoenix. Here, watch this, I'm going to kill this guy in front of you. And then he throws that guy in a uh, furnace, and a different uh, dude dies. Like, he did that just because. Yeah, like, it's... As a supervillain myself, I resent the comparison. I'm ideologically driven. I know what I want. McPherson was just a poor, was at best poorly written. He didn't like. Yeah. That was his thing. He didn't want anything. He he wanted like set like four or five different kind of things in different directions. It was never really clear about which one was which one he actually wanted. Right. Yeah. He wanted Artie to experience the cold emptiness of death that he experienced. So he did that, but he also wanted artifacts out in the world, but he also wanted to destroy the world. Uh, he wanted to help Helen and do whatever she wanted to do, which it's still unclear if he knew that or not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he had a bunch of different and weird motivations. Yeah, really just based on whatever sounded good for him to give a monologue about. Right. Which, I mean, fair. Yeah. But, it, I don't know. It, it's a little weird for your supervillain, uh, like, your primary goal to be to thrust yourself in front of the, uh, the heroes so that you can monologue about how much better you are than they are. Yeah, no. <sighs> hi, you usually do that as a means to an end. Yeah, hi, welcome to season four, episode two of Where Has He Snack. We're still fucking mad about McPherson. <laughs> yep. 
Anyways. <sighs> yeah, this scene sounds really good unless you think about it too hard. But as it is, again, this is another... Everyone keeps accidentally playing on Artie's, in, on Artie's big secret, and that's pretty good. That I like. <sighs> right. <sighs> and Claudia makes a compelling case that... Uh that we should use the metronome because we have the power and it's unfair to Steve that he's dead or whatever. Yeah, given that, um, you know, the warehouse did kind of kill Steve. Right, yeah, they sent him undercover right into the jaws of death. Yeah, because, yeah, knowing... I don't know how much the warehouse do this, but, like... If nothing else, like, the first thing you learn working for Walter Sykes is he'll just, he'll fucking kill people. Right. Like he he'll kill you even if you're he'll kill you if you're still useful to him. He'll kill you for whatever reason. Yeah. He does not fucking care. Yeah, he just kills you if you've gotten too much screen time before. Yeah. Uh so Yeah. Artie is like adamant, no, we won't do this. Uh and then Jane, Pete's mom, and a regent turns up and says, uh, no, I think Claudia's right, actually. Yeah, I talked to- It's uh, chill I, and cool yeah. to do this. Uh, I, a regent, talked it over with the other regents, and it's fine. It's good and cool that you should do this. Yep. If, if anything, you should do it twice, just to make sure you get the full Steve. Um, and we're working out that the reason Artie is so worked up is he somehow thinks the evil will be unleashed when Claudia does this resurrection? Yeah, like, there's a lot of handling over, oh, well, we don't know what the downside, if any, to the metronome is. But there was a dude just walking around, animated by the metronome, for several years. Yeah, if anything, it, it seemed like it was all upside. Like, it, um, made him invincible. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no. the downside was you're vulnerable to people stopping the metronome. Yeah, which, you know, you were already dead in the first place, so, like, you know, one of the guys later brings up, like, well, what if it kills you slowly or whatever? Which, like, eh, sure, what if it does that? Uh, what if it, what if it makes Steve uh, pee applesauce? Like, <laughs> it, right. it could do anything. What's your point? Yeah, and all we know about it is uh, what we've seen before, and presumably they know roughly the same amount. Yeah, like, this is... Like, we didn't see any downsides. Yeah, like, this is... This is, he this is like hearing the story about... Uh... No, the metaphor doesn't make sense, but I'm going to finish the sense anyway. It's like reading a... That story about the guy who pitched a no-hitter baseball game on LSD, and, like, if, but, and then imagine we didn't know anything else about LSD, and said, I don't know, maybe it's bad. It, it seems pretty dangerous, I mean, it can make you pitch a no-hitter, but, uh, we don't know what else could happen. At, at what cost? I, it could, what if it brings Steve Jinx back? You know, it's Steve, it's that guy you like, it's... Like, I will never get over how, like, how extremely attached Claudia is to Steve. I feel like I missed something. Like, not Steve. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah, he, was, it, he was fine, but, like, eh. 
it only makes sense if you accept the uh the thing that they keep implying but never say explicitly which is that a lot of time and hijinks take place between episodes sure like they they seem to constantly suggest this not so much lately but like early on they were doing it where they'd like mention snagging something or like basically people form relationships too quickly and they hand wave that away by just suggesting that they formed these relationships just off screen yeah which you know makes sense like the you have a limited amount of screen time it's okay to like suggest that these characters are doing something when we're not looking that's good and fine the the weird thing is that like i don't like i as an audience member am not particularly attached to steve like like you know if yeah like if 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 pete fucking died i would get it and if and if micah was like this i would get it you know but like right but like, oh, yeah. not, not Claudia Steve. and Steve had moments, yeah. and that was, that was all. Yeah, like, like imagine if someone was like, imagine if someone was really into like getting Dickinson back alive. Right. Oh man, I I really wish we could bring back Dickinson. <laughs> uh I just really like our. Uh... Yeah, like Dickinson got a substantial amount of screen time. And then they killed him for the cheap emotional effect. Like, Steve, it was a much less cheap emotional effect. But, like, it seemed like you could have done a lot more by having Claudia, like, react and grow as a person to it, rather than fixate on bringing Steve back to life. Yeah, it's like, Claudia has lost a loved one before, and and her, and... In fairness to her, she and did she the, never got over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fairness to Claudia, like we know, this is how she reacts to things. This has happened before. Like, yeah. And you know, to her credit, every time it's every time it's happened so far, it's worked. And in right. fact, like focusing Claudia just uh, overcomes. Yeah, like focusing on getting a uh, brother man. I want to say Donovan, <laughs> but that's not correct. His name isn't Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> it should be though. <laughs> Uh, uh, what is his name? <sighs> Joshua. That's what it was. Anyway, um, yeah. Ah. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. It's I. I, I forgot about the uh, spoilers. I guess. Never mind. Oh, all right. <laughs> That's going to be a fun season five thing. Uh, oh. So yeah, we don't really know that there are any downsides, and uh, yeah, Jane is here to help Claudia achieve it, and Artie just sort of <laughs> storms off muttering about some great evil, and yeah. everyone's like, Artie, what are you talking about? Uh... I'm just really... I just hate metronomes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um... Yeah, so... 
this all happens. It's a whole thing. And, uh... It's a whole thing that happens. And, uh... I think this is where we see the... The key thing happen with, the uh, You know, the guy gives the key to the lady, and the monster thing happens. Or whatever. And then... Uh... Or no, or maybe I failed to put down notes, but did Brother Adrian turn up? Not in my... I don't have anything about Brother Adrian written down at this point. I, after this. After, okay. After Artie shows up in the diner and they talk to each other. Okay. Yeah, because Brother Adrian tells him about the last known person to use uh, Magellan's astrolabe, Robespierre, and yeah. it caused the reign of terror, apparently. Oh, right. I did write that down. That... That makes sense. And, uh... But yeah, back on the A-plot, uh... Pete and Micah have come to the house of the, uh, wife guy who is <laughs> uh, keeping his wife in the closet with a shotgun. Ah, <laughs> uh, closet... Closet wife guy usually means something else, but, uh... Yeah, that'll work. And, um... Like, they show up with their Teslas... Like, like you know... The guy's got a shotgun. They're, like, trying to convince him, like, hey, leave that alone. And, like, one of them pulls their Tesla, and he's like, are you the men in black? And they're like, yeah, sure, pretty much. Which, like... Right. You know, you'd think they do more often, if it helps. Right. Yeah. I mean, in this case, they everything did actually look like aliens. Uh... And... Yeah, basically, their their Teslas are just the men in black pen thing, but also yeah. knocks you out. Yeah. Though, the Neuralizer can go back farther. Though, oh, yeah. Though, the Tesla is only... It only does the memory eraser thing when it's convenient. Right. Like, it... Yeah, it, I love... <laughs> it is the exact... They forget the exact length of time... That is convenient <laughs> to the plot. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, yeah, uh, they kind of defuse the situation. Wife guy tries to shoot uh, his wife monster with a shotgun, and uh, Micah stops him. The gun goes off into the ceiling, and then she just, like, uh, bashes him with it and knocks him clean out. Yay, Micah, girl power. Yeah, girl boss. And, um, Pete, I think Tesla's the wife? Or, no? Uh, no, I think it just wears off. Yeah. And the wife comes out and everything's fine. Yeah, which would make sense, because there's a, a scene pretty soon after that where, like, she tells them what happened and mentions a guy with a key and a championship hat. Yeah, yeah, she does all the exposition. And, uh, yeah, Pete, being a sports jock guy, uh, identifies that the various victims seem to have the sport, the sports ball game in common. Yep, they, they were all at the same championship basketball game. Ooh! And Pete also finally remembers the name Love Lovecraft and goes, isn't this all 
This all smacks of uh, Lovecraftian horror. Yeah, he's like, oh, I read all these weird comic books as a kid. And Michael's like, oh, yes, I've, I've heard of this Lovecraft man. I I were I lived in a bookstore. I've heard of this Lovecraft. <laughs> Micah lived in a bookstore. She apparently read everything in there. She knows a zillion languages. But you know what? I mean, the only reason she didn't read the Lovecraft was all the tentacles. Yeah, that that yeah. Then she she says her taste in horror were elsewhere. And you know what? Cool and good. You shouldn't read Lovecraft stories because he was a horrible racist who fucking sucks. Right. And she specifically name dropped. Uh, Shelly, I forget who else she name yeah. dropped. Yeah, yeah, Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein, uh, who like only wrote the one book. Yeah, much better author than, uh, or much better person than Lovecraft. Yeah, though. Mary Shelley ruled. I kind of hope they would like say something, but I also understand that like if you're a TV show in 2012 or whatever, you're not going to get very far by like saying mean things about Lovecraft. That guy's uh gonna get very popular with your target audience pretty soon oh yeah what's going on in sci-fi around the time because like i i distinctly remember a time in like nerd culture history where like it was all about cthulhu everyone loved the tentacle boy everyone loved lovecraft they were all big into it um it seems to have died down now which is good because again Lovecraft was a horrible, shitty racist who fucking sucked. Like, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it just like became a big thing. I, I feel like Lovecraft is one of those guys that like I've always heard about yeah. and never really cared to read. Yeah, like, yeah, because like you can get better stories that are vaguely inspired. Like, because again, he was. He's a shitty guy. He's... Not only did he name his cat the N-word, he was so racist that, like, the other other white people in, like, the 1900s thought he was super racist. There are much better cosmic horror authors. Um, right. Like... You, you can acknowledge that he's important to the genre and still not care. Yeah, like... Okay, so, it's fine. So I, I, I'm going to close this Wikipedia article after this, but like, there's an extremely funny couple of sentences here. According to his account, his first moment of skepticism occurred before his fifth birthday when he heard that Santa Claus is not real. He questioned if God is also a myth. <laughs> In 1896, he was introduced to Greco-Roman myths and became a genuine pagan. This came to an end in 1902 when Lovecraft was introduced to space. He learned Santa wasn't real, oh. and he immediately dons a fedora and is enlightened. Yeah, right? <laughs> like... Right? And then... <laughs> this came to an end in 1902 when he was introduced to space. <coughs> How do they mean came to an end? Did he start believing in God again? Yeah, no, he... he be... In 1896, he was introduced to Greco-Roman myths and became, quote, a genuine pagan. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then, I love the phrase, was introduced to space. Like, someone told him, hey, hey, bud, look up. Go outside and did, look up. Did oh. he not look up before when he was learning all about the Greek and Roman gods uh, that all have constellations uh, named after them? Uh, uh. What the fuck is that? What's up there? 
How come it keeps going? What the <laughs> fuck? Holy shit. Ah. <gasps> uh. Yo, guys, you heard about this thing, Space? H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft was the original I fucking love science guy. <laughs> Anyways. Um. Da, 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 da. Anyways. This all happens. Um. I wrote Steven back to life, but they don't think they bring Steve back just yet. Uh, I think this is just more Steve stuff. Uh, they talk about Cthulhu some more. Uh, Micah Googles this championship game on a on a search engine called WikiFinders. Nice. Yeah. Love a good genericized search. And then they find out that when Teresa Hicks was trampled to death at the same championship game. Right. Uh, it's worth noting that the... Uh, the championship game is in basketball, based on the bobblehead shown on screen holding a basketball. And it's supposed to be Philly versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati has no pro basketball team. <laughs> uh. Unsurprisingly, because uh, it's kind of shocking that they have both a football and uh, baseball team. Like, Cincinnati's not really that much of a city, if I'm honest. Eh, what are you gonna do? Like, Columbus gets none of those things. Uh. Columbus gets no passenger rail, no pro ball teams. I might be wrong about that. I'm not good at sports. Although, uh, Philly definitely has a, uh... Basketball ball team. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, apparently they trusted the process all the way to the 2012 championship. Huh. There you go. <laughs> okay, but like, this is unrelated, but, um, does that link work? If it doesn't, yeah. I googled Columbus sports teams, and I didn't really find anything all that exciting there. I did find this logo for Columbus Pride that looks like four sp sperm about to impregnate the state of Ohio. <laughs> Amazing. I think they're supposed to be speech bubbles, but they're standing up, like, the tail's on the bottom and the bubble part is on top. So they look like... There's... There's a, uh, when I get out of lockdown joke in that one somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to fuck the, I'm going to get the, the state of Ohio gay and pregnant. Or wait, I wanted to look at the 76ers. I wanted to see if they actually made the, uh, playoffs. They didn't win their division from 2001 until 2021. So yeah, they... They definitely didn't make it to the championship since they had a 20-year uh, division championship drought. Yeah, that makes sense. They, like, go to the security office at the stadium and figure out that some that the, they find the guy who's been doing this and piece together that it was as revenge for this person getting trampled because these people saw and they didn't help. Right. 
It's very interesting, the idea of a trampling death at a sports game in 2012. Yeah. Because, like, don't get me wrong, they happen. But facilities like where the uh, Sixers play are very well designed to prevent trampling deaths. <laughs> like, it, without some sort of major panic, it's very difficult for someone to end up... Uh, you know, getting severely injured because of foot traffic. Yeah, because there, there wasn't a fire or anything. Like, it wasn't... Right. There was nothing that would cause people to panic. Yeah, she just sort of fell, and it, the crowd prevented people from getting to her to help her. I guess? I, like, it honestly didn't seem all that crowded. Um, Like, I've been, yeah. in, I've been in bus stations that were more crowded than this, like... Right. Yeah, and, like, that's how modern sports venues are all designed. Like, we've, we've had a lot of opportunities to learn lessons, uh, unfortunately. I mean, uh, things like the... Aberfan was the cold tipple that... Uh, yeah, so that's not it. Uh, there was... Was it the stadium the Glasgow Rangers play at? Uh, yeah, there was a big football uh, trampling incident where a lot of people got injured. And, like, it, that happens a lot more in the UK because a lot of the football stadiums have older designs. And, like, a lot of them have been replaced over the years, so that's not so mm -hmm. true anymore. But, like... Naturally, until something goes wrong, people just continue using the same stadium. Yeah, and I might be wrong on this, but it it sure seems like, don't get me wrong, I've seen American sports fans get, you know, fucking heated over a, a win or a loss, but like, so soccer hooliganism is much worse than anything we get here in the States. Yeah, soccer hooliganism is a specific... Like, it, it's a category of people who want to get together to have a fight at a football game. <laughs> like, and like, yeah, there's some absolutely awful shit. And then some of it is just like camaraderie or whatever. But like, there is just some truly awful shit in soccer hooliganism, too. Yeah, it is. If nothing else, extremely racist at times. Uh, yeah, like they I, will they will shout slurs at players. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about the. Uh, I ended up looking at a thread on Reddit uh, not too long ago because the, the uh, Scottish people Twitter had a tweet that was. Uh, someone talking about how weird it is that uh, Celtics fans are suddenly flying Israeli flags because Rangers fans have been uh, flying Palestinian flags. Like, it, due to their rivalry, they're just, like, choosing opposite sides in uh, a war. Christ. <laughs> and, like, the... I can't stop thinking about this Reddit thread, not because of the actual content of the main post, but because of the comments. 
there was just like there were more people insisting that this is a recent development uh and like it's all based on the football clubs and their alignment and not that the people who support those football clubs are of a political persuasion like apparently both teams have a large uh Irish fan base and the Rangers come come from uh the more republican se- segments of Irish society and the Celtics from a uh more uh unionist one yeah that sounds right and like if you ignore the history of Ireland and like Irish uh Palestinian relations I guess you could come up with that but like Ireland was the first country in the EU to recognize Palestine mm-hmm. Palestine like it's actually really easy to understand why these things are linked. Uh, but, like, it was entirely going over Reddit's head, and then there were, like, a couple people trying to talk some sense into these people. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> you know, when people say, like, nothing is... There's no such thing as apolitical, right? Like, right. everything is connected. Everything <laughs> means something. Yeah, it- the comment that really stuck out to me was uh, one guy showed up to a football game in Italy and was like, the Italian football fans were the worst. Like, they were throwing uh, bananas at this South African uh, famous, extremely talented player. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's awful. And then he uh, caught a game at home and like, they were doing the same thing. <sighs> so he's like, oh, well, shit. I guess, it, yeah, I guess we're not any better. Ah, uh, normal. I mean, not normal. Bad. Bad and terrible. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it is pretty appalling. And, like, uh, that's not the end of the horrible racism that can be linked to, uh, certain soccer fan groups. But, yeah, it's uh it's one of those things. There are actually some clubs that are really progressive and like militantly so. Like if you mm-hmm. if you try to pull any of that sort of shit, you will get your ass beat. But they're they're pretty few and far between, honestly. Mm-hmm. Regardless, uh, uh that has no, that doesn't have anything to do with this episode, which um we learned this guy's Doing this sponsor thing is revenge, which for not helping, which seems like kind of a flimsy reason to murder people. But um regardless. Like I, Yeah. Like maybe maybe this is my super villain gender speaking, but like what what good is revenge if the people you're revenging don't know they're being revenged on? Like if you want these people to change their behavior and feel bad about what they did, you have to tell them, right? Like, this guy isn't going to say, I hallucinated my wife being a monster. It must be because I ignored that trampling at that basketball game all those years ago. No, like, it doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah, all of the people he transformed into monsters or made appear to be monsters were the ones that ignored his wife or caused her to not be able to uh, get help. But, like... It, yeah, it's... When they finally confront the guy, he's like, yeah, I, I tried to just kill him, but, like, I couldn't do it. Like, he, he like, couldn't bring himself to do it? Yeah. Yeah, so he found a, uh, he found a more roundabout way that was more palatable to him. Sure, but, like, again, it's... Because, like, the thing about this situation is that, like, there were hundreds or thousands of people who could have prevented this but didn't. Right? Like, that's how, tra uh, that's how trampling works, yeah? I'm not sure if he got his hands on the security camera footage. These people all did some particular act. Mm. Like, uh, in fact, one of the guys just, like, parked his car in a space reserved for an ambulance. All right, that's shitty. Yeah, and uh, the thing that I don't get, though, is parking your car in the space reserved for the ambulance does nothing to an ambulance. They do not care. No one writes them parking tickets. Yeah, they can park wherever. <laughs> I, in fact, come to think of it, I've never seen a parking spot be reserved for an ambulance, except in, like, cartoons. Right. Yeah, it's it's specifically a thing that an ambulance driver will be entirely unfazed by. Yeah. Because, like, he's got more important shit to deal with. He doesn't care where he parks. He will drive right up on a sidewalk. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it's... But, yeah. Yeah, it... Fine, whatever. <laughs> it's, again, revenge... Does this help you feel better, my guy? Like... Personally, from where I'm sitting, it doesn't seem like it would help anything if you don't, like... Again, I have my own supervillain thoughts, but, like... It doesn't work if you don't confront them with what they did. Yeah, the, the show goes, like, really out of its way to be... To, like, make explicit what their characters think about this stuff. Like, Pete goes so far as to say, uh, what this guy did, it's just as bad as what any of those people did. And, like, he, he killed, like, three people and, like, left one in a coma. It's worse. Yeah, like... <laughs> and yeah, Micah just sort of goes, yeah, but, like, in his shoes? I, yeah. I mean, I can at least sort of understand it. Yeah, it's... I, his plan doesn't really make sense. Like, if you want to kill these people, that's a reasonable motivation. I guess that's a reasonable motivation for, like, a a villain in this show, or at least, like, a guy we're never going to see again. But, like... Right. But, like... It's a lot better than the guy who just kills people because he's stalking this girl. Yeah. Though, yeah, like... I will, I think his justification is a little flimsy, but, like, that's fine. People do all sorts of things for flimsy reasons. It's right. weird that Pete thinks, like, that this is reasonable. I would say... Uh, uh, 
Oh, Pete specifically doesn't. Uh, Micah does for oh, some right. reason. Like this is. Have you seen Die Hard? Uh, I'm sure I have. All right, there, there's a scene where so there's Hans Gruber. The at this point in the film, we think he's a terrorist, but he's actually just trying to steal some money. Uh, there's Ellis, who is the sleazy asshole businessman, and basically Ellis is like talking to Hans in person, trying to like get him. You know, he's taking a bunch of people hostage, and Ellis is trying to like defuse the situation by promising to deliver John McClane, who is hiding up in the building somewhere, speaking by a radio. And there's a scene where basically Ellis is, a, is an asshole. He gets himself killed uh, because John McClane won't give himself up to be shot in the head by the bad guy. Um, and Weird. Yeah, and then the, the asshole cop on the ground uh, says like, oh, he, you know, you see that? He just let him die, man. That's like pulling the trigger yourself. And then our so-called good cop, Sergeant Al Powell, is like, can't you read between the lines? But, <laughs> but the point is, it's... A, I like talking about Die Hard. It's a good film. B, it's weird to say that these people deserved it for setting in... Yes, what they did was shitty, sure. I'm willing to accept that. But it's... It's weird to hold each of them 100% responsible this one death I was thinking I should uh, go back and watch Die Hard since I can't really remember if I've ever seen it uh, but then you said it was a good movie so I'm not going to ah <laughs> uh, damn it what if I told you I watched what if I told you I watch it every Christmas I mean I might make time on Christmas yeah. but yeah I when I was laid off due to uh, the covid shutdowns i watched a lot of action movies from around this time but only bad ones yeah fair enough so what you're oh well so sort of uh so you want diehards four and five which are bad yeah have you ever seen remo williams i haven't oh it is exceptionally bad oh you mean remo williams colon the adventure begins also releases yes. Remo colon unarmed and dangerous. It's uh it's got just deeply fascinating bad things in it. Like the politics are bad. Uh they had Joel Grey uh dress in yellow face. Like mm, bad. Which it, it's not just bad in hindsight. There were people straight up before the pre uh, premiere, like you should not do this. This is bad. Yeah, this is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Amazingly, they built a partial uh, replica of the Statue of Liberty to film a fight scene on. Yeah, they just, like, built it in the desert in Mexico. I mean, alright. That's impressive, I guess. Uh, have you ever seen Alien? Come to think of it? I haven't. Um, it's a quality film, except for... Uh, Vasquez, one of the uh, 
This may have been in the second movie, actually. But, um, you know, Vasquez, she's, you know, portrayed as this, you know, tough Latina lady. She was unfortunately played by a very white, very nice Jewish lady in brown face. Okay. Which is, a uh, mm, bad. Uh, yeah, it's a choice. Uh, like... Ugh. I was watching the movie with folks, and so I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's brown face. And, oh, what the fuck? She, you know, I was enjoying this until now, and it's, other than that, it's a quality film. But, like, eh. I think that's in, that's in the sequel. Uh, the first one doesn't have okay. any of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I love, I love action movies, especially, like, the sort that plays its politics like really straightforward yeah like yeah like alien like, is 100 i don't care Sorry, <laughs> i don't care if they're bad or good they just have to be really on the nose yeah like alien <laughs> is what alien is 100 percent a film where like yeah there's an alien or whatever but the real bad guy is capitalism it is really like it is about how being a space trucker and who the company will screw over at the Slightest provocation fucking sucks. Right. Yeah, uh... Like... The... Remo Williams uh, did that. It was very on its sleeve about the politics it had. And they were bad. Uh, Escape from New York is the same way, but the politics are better. Yeah. <laughs> like... Escape from L.A is very similar to Escape from New York, but the movie is worse. Yeah, yeah. In such a good way, though. Yeah, like, I, I remember I remember watching both of them, and it's like, you see the first one, and, like, you can just see Hideo Kojima watching this movie, and, like, I'm gonna make a video game out of this. I'm gonna put that man right. in my video game. I'm not even gonna change his name. I'm going to put that man in my video game. Right. And, like, like, Snake has his weird and prim sensibilities. Yeah. But, like, yep. The movie isn't trying to jerk you around. Like, it's... It's showing you what it wants to show you. Escape from L.A., right. in addition to, like, having a bizarre sect of... evil plastic surgeons? Also yep. has a trans character that Snake keeps dead naming, even though she's a badass. Right, yeah, that, that was the one thing that was unfortunate about Escape from L.A. Mm -hmm. Not any of the other choices. John Carpenter did a great job deciding to add the surfing scene. He <laughs> <and laughs> sure did do that. Like, yeah, the, the movie is very good, but it could have treated uh, the trans character better. Yeah, and the movie's credit... She was a badass. She fucking ruled. Um, yeah. the, the only bad part was that Snake keeps dead damning her. Yeah, it, it was a specific failing of the protagonist. Yeah. Which, I mean, in part, he so doesn't he sort of pay for that, too? I, I think so. I, like, I haven't... Like, he doesn't get ahead by being a transphobe. Yeah, like, it's... If nothing else, like, Snake is the mm. only one doing this, and he looks... If nothing else, he looks like an asshole for it. But again, like as a trans right, woman, I can't, I can't read it that any other way. Protagonist, yeah, like Snake is kind of an asshole. I can see that. 
he's usually not this much of an asshole, but, you know, this was also a movie written by cis people. Yeah. Anyways. But Death Basketball, great game. Yeah, excellent. I love the concept. Yeah, I, I do like the idea of murder <laughs> basketball. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the... Oh, that movie. So good. Yeah. Have you have you watched Rollerball? I have not. Uh I really uh, I'm concerned because Evan has said that he's watched Rollerball 2002 and like thinks it's an iconic movie <laughs> but has never seen the 1970s one. And like the 1970s Rollerball is a good movie. The 2002 one is hilariously bad. I mean, so are you saying that, I guess I don't know that much about Rollerball, are you saying the original isn't hilarious? Uh, honestly, the original, like, there are aspects of it that are a little bit silly. Like, it's silly in a 70s action movie sort of way, but it's played straight and shot well. Mm -hmm. And, like... I don't know. It's it's incredible because it, the 2002 Rollerball feels to me like they read uh, criticism of the 70s one and they picked up on the one opinion people had about it that was the most wrong and tried to fix that. Ah, uh, jeez. Because it had this phenomenal ambiguous ending. Like... I felt like that was really good in the original. And instead they added like another 45 minutes to the movie after where the ending was in the original and made everything more explicit than they should have. Ah. Like they went the entire opposite direction instead of being vaguely ambiguous and like leaving you with a your own conclusions to draw. They gave you the full picture and then a little more than yeah. you wanted. How about this, nerds? Huh? huh? We made your movie longer. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it just makes the movie worse because the ending of Rollerball was very good and people who didn't like it were wrong. Second movie ball dislikers. Rollerball dislikers. Uh. But yeah, that... That's what I did with uh, my lockdown was watch uh, action movies that that uh, expressed their politics as explicitly as possible. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, as I want to know where I stand with the movie. I don't want to be going around saying, you know, oh, I liked whatever that was like, oh, but didn't you know whatever was you know, fascist or whatever? Right. <laughs> you know. Which Yeah, I don't want crypto anything. <laughs> uh, don't you try to hide from me, movie. I'll understand you. You can at least wear your heart on your sleeve to save me some time. Yeah, if you're going to be a weird fascist movie, do it like Remo Williams. Be goofy as hell the whole time while you do it. Uh, <laughs> like... Uh, like... One of the things I appreciate about Final Fantasy XIV's writing is that, like, 
It repeatedly, several times, hits you over the head with, these men are fascists. These people are fascists. They want to do fascism. They're fascists. And I have gone through, like, the big dungeon where the bad guy at the time, like, does this whole thing about how might must rule, the strong must rule, you know, the, the strong must rule the weak, and so on. And, like, this, there was a guy in the chat saying, like, you know, this guy has a lot in common with Darth Vader. Which is correct, but I was really hoping they would put together the, you know, connect the dots, figure out these. this is fascism, that's what's bad. Right. But we're, and, we're trying to explain to you the bad thing, and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen the bad thing before. Yeah. In another you're movie. You're so close. <laughs> and like, in case you didn't get it, there was a scene later on in the game where like, we cut into the bad a bad guy base, and the scientist says the phrase master race, like, five times, just in case you haven't figured out that these guys are <laughs> fantasy Nazis. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there, they're good. There's only two things I want out of my action movie. Politics that are extremely straightforward, and opening on some strange uh, action sports sequence that will never be addressed again. <laughs> uh. Like, I love that shit. Like the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers where they're just like skydiving and shit. That's so good. Rollerball 2002 opens on a street luge scene. These things never come up again. <laughs> uh, they're just, you know, something to think about. I've been trying to find someone who had compiled a list of movies that open like that. Because that's all I want. <laughs> Every movie that opens like that is good. Ah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, we should probably oh. keep finish up with this episode. Yeah, probably. Whew. Okay, so where were we? Uh, we learned about Teresa Hicks' death. Uh, I believe we didn't talk about what actually happens when Pete manages to confront the guy. They have a bit of an altercation, and Pete uh, ends up holding the key, and that's not great. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, they, uh... As they go back and forth, they're like in a gym? For some reason, and people are just working out and ignoring this fight. Yeah. But, uh, he touches Pete with the key, and then people, like, stop working out and start trying to kill Pete. And right, and he just, like, eggs them on. Yeah. Which, like... I mean, they can't... It was one thing... Mind you, they can't understand him anyways. Like, anything he tries to say gets turned into monster noises, including when he calls Micah on the phone. She also hears monster right. noises. But figures out that Pete's probably in trouble. Yeah. Uh, this guy, when he was using this to kill the people who caused his wife to die, that's one thing. Now he's just, like, trying to get Pete killed. Some guy who tried to stop him from doing bad things. Yeah, which, I mean... I get... You know, that's a... If you're a villain and people are trying to stop you, you have to, you know... You're not going to just, like, roll over, you know? Right, but they seem to... They seem to cast this guy as someone who has, like, 
who was reasonable but like found his breaking point like uh charles bronson in death wish ah here we go another movie that uh has very very bad politics if i were charlie b i would simply have a life wish instead (laughs) yes (sighs) anyways yeah it's it doesn't really make a lot of sense but what are you gonna do right Meanwhile, uh, I think at some point we, we, we get a shot of, like, Micah wandering into, like, this guy's room, and it's just full of, like, big tentacles and, like, models of Cthulhu monsters and such, just to really drive home and just to, like, fuck with Micah a little more, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we need. But, regardless... Um, at some point during all this, we, uh, we have a whole scene where Claudia and Pete's mom use the metronome to bring Steve back to life. There's a whole thing where they have to do it together. They have to, you know, put one hand on the metronome, one hand on Steve's heart. Uh, Pete's mom has, like, keep her in the moment, blah, blah, blah. It's a whole thing. Claudia takes her hand off the metronome for some reason. It doesn't make a lot of sense. but uh. Regardless, they bring Steve back, they're talking to Steve, there's a whole thing where Claudia's like, what, did you lose your lie detector power? Uh, Steve doesn't realize he was dead for a while, until Claudia, uh, you know, Steve's like, oh, sure, people have been clinically dead for a few minutes, how long was I out? And Claudia's like, oh, you were dead for 4,320 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, one thing I like is that... Pete's mom, for some reason, seems to know a lot about this artifact. Yeah. Not about possible drawbacks it could have, but she knows a lot about the process of using it for this artifact that they claim to know nothing yeah, about. Yeah, for this thing that, again, was not in their possession as, you know, ever, as far as we know. Right. And, uh, to go back a little further, I'm very confused why. Like, I, I mean, I know why narratively the guy who had the uh, Lovecraft key uh, was taken away by the cops. But, like, from the cops' perspective, what did he yeah, do? Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, he didn't... What crime would you charge him with? Right. Like, with an it, aggravated key offering? Like, you can't just say yeah. he... You can't tell a judge any of this. Like, he didn't do any, like, mortal crime. Yeah, I can't work out. Is is this guy supposed to have gone to jail for this? Because, like, how could that happen? Yeah. How could you get through a court case? A lawyer in their sleep could make this go away. Yeah, what did he do? He handed someone a key. That's not a crime. Right. Like... Yeah, like, you could maybe argue that he drugged some people, but, like, what drugs? You know. They, right. they'll, they'll pass any urine test you want to give them, like. Yeah, if you can't demonstrate what he drugged them with, it would be hard to uh, convict on that. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but, yeah, we, 
we get back to uh, bringing Steve back to life. Yeah. And uh, Adwin Kassan shows up, and we find out that Jane actually was acting alone. She didn't talk with the other regents. Yeah, she just kind of decided this would be good and cool to do. Which, I mean, hell yeah. I, <laughs> I agree. I, uh, if I were in her position, I would also ignore my boss. And bring right. and I guess bring Steve back to life because we all love Steve very much. We're all big Steve likers. Right. Yeah, if there's one thing I know about this show, it's that Steve is here. <laughs> I wouldn't know what this show is if Steve were not Whenever here. Whenever Steve isn't on the screen, all the other characters are looking around asking, Where's Steve? Where's Steve? Why is Steve dead? Where did Steve go? <laughs> Steve should be louder, angrier, more alive, and have access to a time machine. Right. Uh, but, yeah. And Mr. Kassan is always, is the guy who's all like, okay, but we don't know what the downside is. If it does have a downside, like it, it's killing us all slowly or whatever, um, it's on your head. Right, yeah, and he basically just says, yeah, we'll just kill Steve if we think he's, uh, causing problems. Yeah. Which, I mean... And it's like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, like, that, that seems reasonable, like... I, you know, Steve was already dead, so, like, returning Steve to being right. dead is like, you know, you still got Steve back for a bit. You still got a little bit of, yeah. of precious Steve time. Yeah. I'm trying to work out, uh... If Steve's resurrection is supposed to be some sort of uh, Jesus allegory, and I don't think it is. Yeah, there is a whole scene where Claudia is like I, in this white zone, and she has to like call to Steve and get him to acknowledge her. Yeah, I do think it is uh, telling that this show uh, had so few gay people that they uh, and so much desire to kill their gays. That they had to resurrect one so they could do it again. <laughs> okay, we'll bring this one back, but uh, we'll kill him again if we have to. Right. Don't think I won't. <laughs> okay, we'll give you Steve back, because we all know how much you loved Steve. But if, uh, uh, if we spell any weirdness coming off of him, uh, it's... We did get Helena back. So, like, that's good. They did unbury their right. gaze. And then kill Helena again. Oh, yeah, wait. <laughs> no, wait, Helena's alive? Like, already vouched for at the end of last episode, so that, that implies she's alive. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, because we never got to the timeline where she sacrificed herself for no reason. Right. So there was the time when she was in the mind prison. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought her back, and then they killed her, and then they brought her back. So yeah, I guess she's alive and just doing her thing yeah, now. Yeah, she's alive and already is trying to get her reinstated at the warehouse. Right. Uh, it's, uh, like, none of the straight characters have to go through this. Right. <laughs> none of the straight characters are constantly being killed and brought back to life. Uh, like, Helena was bronzed, <sighs> he was bronzed, she was mind-prisoned, 
she exploded, then they undid time. <sighs> I guess Mrs. Frederick yeah. died and came back too, but like, yeah. It. Hey, we never uh, hear anything about Mrs. Frederick's love life. Yeah. I like I can I can absolutely see her being like I'm bisexual Arthur or whatever just to like to get Arnie <laughs> to stop talking but like yeah I I kind of doubt that's canon. Yeah, I also think she hasn't aged since uh you know since maybe Warehouse 13 began like the building. Yeah, which I mean, you know, vampires fuck. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. Okay, sorry good. I don't know that I have much more on this episode. Yeah, so, long story short, Steve's back. Uh, there's a lot of hand-wringing about, oh, we don't know what the downside is. Um, they make it clear that Steve will be under the warehouse's lifetime supervision. Which, like, okay, whatever. Yeah, like, I kind uh, of assume that happens. There's only... I kind of assume that happens anyways. Yeah, there's pretty much only three ways people leave the warehouse. Yeah, like, yeah, with the way things tend to end, you probably are under lifetime uh, supervision on, by the warehouse, no matter what. I, I'm looking at AO3 to see if there are any ships that include Mrs. Frederick. Okay. And I don't see any. Though I did find a Gravity Falls Warehouse 13 crossover fic. Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. Also, there's a... There's a Lena and Artie ship that I did not notice before. In fact, three stories with that tag. I can see it. Yeah. Also, there, there, there are three Steve X Peach ships, which is also very funny. At least, that also have Mrs. Frederick in them. I mean, I can get it. Steve is, uh... Well... Pete is uh, open-minded. Not willing to admit it, but yeah, he's he's open. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> like yes, Pete is absolutely at least I'm not gay, but kind of guy. I don't think it would be that hard to push him over. Right. I I think Pete is the kind of guy who will like, you know. I think Pete is says head if only because like nobody's asked him the right questions. Right. Uh but anyways. Um and at the end of the episode we um I wrote knife noticer because I think it's it's already having another one of his, you know, knife visions. Yep. Yeah, uh I'm not sure if if they make it explicit at this point, but the wiki points out that it's uh, Francesco Borgia's dagger, uh -huh. and I believe either in this episode or in a later episode, Artie has identified it from his visions. Yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> Anyways, that's but, about it for this episode. It wasn't a very good one, but it sure was an episode. Yep, it sure is. Yeah, it apparently showed up in the Unsnagged Artifact database, so yeah, Artie found it in the database. Uh, all right, I guess we ought to probably sign off. I think this is it. Yeah. Uh, truly, it was a Warehouse 13. I've been 
The internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing, program, podcast, posts, and everything else that's fit to plug at princess.software. Timmy, where can we find you? I'm Timmy at George.horse. Fair enough. See you all next week. Oh.